2: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more.
0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
3: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Joe McCormick, and we're coming at you with some listener mail today. So, Robert, is all of this mail in today's episode uh, going to be in response to our five-part series on psychedelics?
3: Yes, uh, our, our five episodes, a heroic dose of stuff to blow your mind, if you will, um, on the topic of psychedelics.
0: That was a really interesting thing to try. Now, we had never gone to a five-part series on a subject before. There are certain subjects that we revisit over time in various ways. I think in the past we'd gone to like two or three parts on, mm-hmm. on some specific subjects. Maybe
3: four. Did we go four on black holes?
0: I don't remember. I think we went three parts okay. on black holes, but I'm not positive. But anyway, so we'd never gone that long before. It was sort of an experiment, but it it felt necessary once we got into the topic because it was something that we wanted to treat with thoroughness, but also with care and even handedness because it's a sensitive topic, especially dealing with illegality and taboos and possible risks on a, you know, a, a substance that Uh, evidence shows may have a lot of benefits but also is not without risks and not without dangers and that people should understand if they're going to experiment with. Of course, we're not advising people to experiment with these substances and that should be in your minds throughout those episodes and today's episode is that we're not recommending a course of action for you by talking about uh, the, the science or other people's experiences with psychedelics.
3: Right. These substances are almost certainly illegal wherever you're listening to this show. And even if that were not the case, they are powerful substances that should not be taken lightly. You know, in certain individuals, as we discuss, psychological side effects can occur. And even in the best cases of set and setting, users often report challenging portions of the trip.
0: Right. So, I mean, I would say the main takeaway is we're not recommending people try psychedelics, but we do want to fairly discuss... Uh, what the science says about their possible benefits and people's firsthand experiences with them for for good and for ill.
3: Right, and of course, as always, we reach out to the listeners. We reach out to uh, to other folks to, to get their feedback, uh, their experiences, their firsthand experiences on uh, you know any topic. And this is uh, certainly a, a topic that we wanted to hear from everyone about. Uh, also, on our Facebook group on the discussion module. We also heard some people talking back and forth about just the nature of doing a five-part episode, yeah. And you know, to what extent people like that or they don't—they don't like five-part episodes. So you know, if you're not a part of the discussion module and you have thoughts on this, certainly write in and uh, and let us know. Or are you down for a five-part, another five-parts uh, study of a particular topic, or do you prefer like one and two
0: parts? I enjoyed it. I mean, I really liked the ability to go in depth and explore a topic even though we couldn't do everything about psychedelics right. we couldn't even really <laughs> it's frustrating how no matter how deep you go it seems like you can't but scratch the surface on these big topics having mm-hmm. to do with the mind and you know the human experience and all that. But uh, but I I did appreciate being able to go into more depth than we usually can in a single or two-part episode on, yeah. on, on a big topic. And it seems to me like the majority of responses we've gotten about it were, were positive. It seems like most people liked it, though some people said that they liked it better when we spend, you know, one or two parts on a subject and then move on to something else, just in case it's not a subject that captures their interest. And right. if psychedelics don't capture your interest, that's okay.
3: All right. So, we're going to bring in the mail bot at this point. Uh, the mail bot is very f- fractal looking today. <laughs> I believe he has been uh, uh, infected with machine elves. Uh, but still, he's, he's here to do his job. He's here to present uh, uh, listener mail for us. And uh, we've, we've changed his settings just a little bit. Normally, we provide like the first name of an individual who's uh, written into us. Uh, in this case, given the, the the nature of the topic and given the fact that some people ask to remain anonymous, we're just going to have everyone be anonymous on this episode.
0: Yeah. Oh, and just one more thing also. Obviously, since today's episode is going to be frankly discussing people's firsthand experiences to some extent with psychedelics and, and other drug use, uh, you know, obviously, uh, just be warned that that subject matter is coming. Right.
3: All right. Uh, well, I'm going to read the first one here that Carney is handing me. In the psychedelic episodes, there's mention of veridicality and encounters with God or something that is best described as God, given the limits of human language to describe some of these things. I wanted to share two experiences that I had along these lines, one from my first and most powerful use of psilocybin mushrooms and the other from a much later savasana phase of my yoga practice. In the psilocybin case, I experienced a deep, closed-eye internal experience. I wouldn't describe it as ego loss because I was aware of myself, but it was almost out of body in a way, only instead of pulling out of my physical form and seeing my physical form from above, I saw my place in a much grander chain of beings, like a link in a trans-dimensional tapestry. It was fractal, genetic, and felt more like deep inner space than outer space. There was a strong, warm, organic feel to it, swirling reds and orange. And in this state, I felt or was told that this reality was all that mattered, that fears and concerns of the ego were irrelevant because all that mattered was that I loved and was loved within this interconnected chain of souls. I would say it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. I didn't really know much about psychedelics at the time, but I attribute the intensity of the experience to simply having never taken psilocybin before, and I attribute the attribute the vibe in large part to excellent set and setting on that particular trip It's been a long time though And I feel as if I need to remember the lessons of this trip in my day-to-day life more than a decade later The savasana experience was rather different I occasionally experienced strong visions during savasana and on a few occasions I feel that they resulted in what could be described as ego loss I've also seen but never communicated with manifestations of the deceased in these cases And then during one session I saw something that I knew was God despite the lack of communication between myself and the entity. It was a triangle amid the clouds, but not the clouds of this world, more like some brilliant sunset illuminated atmosphere on some distant gas giant. The triangle itself was luminescent, but of no real color that I remember. I was overcome by feelings of wonder and calm. I'm not saying this wasn't just a mental image assembled out of various visuals floating around my subconscious. It almost certainly was just that. But I think it's a good example of the sort of otherworldly experience that one can have through meditative practice, uh, even without psychedelic substances.
0: Hmm, yeah, that's interesting. I mean it certainly came up in our episode that there are recognized neurological parallels between mm-hmm. uh, the meditative practice that that some people do and in the psychedelic experience. One of the things we talked about was brain imaging studies that at least make it seem like something that's common to both the psychedelic experience with drugs like psilocybin and the experience of at least master meditators is that there is some suppression of the brain regions we associate with the default mode network. Yeah. Uh, Which we talked about having to do with, of course, you know, the kind of rumination that enters people's minds when they're otherwise idle. So you're just sitting there by yourself. You don't have anything to do or think about. You start thinking about yourself and your problems and your past and your future. And that's another part of it is mental time travel. And then, of course, another part is like – uh, evaluations of the self and of other people.
3: Right. Yeah, and and I feel like you know this this lines up with what we've read from various commentators and 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 people who've studied uh, traditional practices. That you know, there's there's the domain of of a sort of psychedelic experience achievable through traditional non-drug-related uh, practices. And then there's also like the realm of dreams as well, mm-hmm. that is uh, often uh, lumped into the the, the same, uh, you know, network of experiences, particularly in, uh, in some, uh, you know, traditional Amazonian practices. Yeah,
0: totally. All right, here's the next one. And, uh, oh, I had to catch myself. We're not using names. Okay, so this one begins... I was an active member – says, hi, Robert and Joe. We can use our names. It says, I was an active member of various message boards dedicated to psychedelic drugs from circa 1998 until about five years ago. I still participate in some message boards, but not nearly as frequently. I was a user on forums such as the Shroomery and the long defunct The Third Plateau, which are dedicated to specific drugs such as psilocybin-containing mushrooms and dextromethorphan or DXM, respectively. I was also a member of forums such as drugsforum.com, which is dedicated to psychoactive drugs in general. I'm a pretty critical person, but I don't think my criticisms about ego death are invalid. I think there is a lot of uncritical discussion on these boards, especially when discussions start getting into the realm of the mystical, supernatural, or spiritual. One thing that I have seen is that a lot of people, often younger people who are new to psychedelics, love to ask how much LSD do I have to take to reach level five? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or how many mushrooms do I need to take to have ego loss or ego death? And the uh, author of this email explains that level five refers to what was and may still be a popular scheme for classifying the intensity of psychedelic experiences as laid out by Graham Carl and included in the Psychedelic Experience Fact, which appears to be hosted on arrowid.org, which is a a, a drug-related information site. The writer continues, I've seen a lot of discussions about this and many people think the ultimate aim of taking psychedelics is to experience ego loss. Uh, But the writer here contends it is impossible to experience ego loss. The ego is one's sense of self. That is to say that the ego is the model of one's self which the brain constructs. Without any conception of self, it is impossible to experience anything. Experiences are not things that float around to be gathered. Experiences happen to someone or something. I experience something. Experiences aren't the same thing as raw sensory data. An experience is the result of one's brain making the best sense of all that raw sensory data in relation to the model of oneself. Without the model of oneself, it's meaningless to talk about experiencing ego death. I have never read a compelling description of ego death. I do not believe that this is simply because we don't have the words to describe what it's like to experience things without any sense of self. Basically, any trip report I've read that includes ego death says nothing except for the same cliches. I generally found the descriptions meaningless. Note that in this paragraph, any quotations are not actual quotations. They're approximations from memory. Some would be as brief as saying, and then I experience full ego death. Others repeated cliches like, I had ego death and experienced raw sensory data, or then I had ego death and it was pure experience with no ego. A few times I shared my hypothesis about the impossibility of actually experiencing ego death. If your ego dies, then you do not experience anything because you do not exist, or at least there is no model of you to experience anything. So if you or the model of you which your brain presents are absent, then what is experiencing ego loss? Don't misunderstand. I do know that psychedelics can radically change change one's sense of self to the point where ego loss is almost the right word. If one's normal ego, the default mode ego, is transformed radically, then sure, you've lost your old ego and been born into a new ego. I know psychedelics can cause one's sense of self to become so tiny that it seems like you don't exist, except as some little dot in a human brain which has self-awareness. Alternately, the subject-object distinctions can be so fuzzy that it seems one has merged with the universe. It can seem that one is just purely aware. It's just pure awareness with no sense of self. However, even if your ego has gotten to this point where it seems you either don't exist because the ego is an illusion – or you're so tiny as to be meaningless, or you see yourself as being one with everything around you, there is no experiencing pure awareness without a sense of self. I submit to you that simply being aware must imply self-awareness, even if that self seems to be purely an observer. Uh, There still must be a sense of self in order to experience anything. Maybe I'm being nitpicky because ego death isn't exactly inaccurate, but I don't believe that experiencing without any ego, without any sense of self whatsoever is possible. Psychedelics can certainly annihilate one's sense of self, but the ego is transformed, not taken away entirely. I'm glad you haven't focused much on ego death in the episodes. I do think it's mumbo-jumbo, and there are a lot of seekers out there who are being misled by uncritical psychedelic enthusiasts who think it's possible to take LSD or another classical psychedelic and experience nirvana and emerge from the trip as a totally new person, like a butterfly. Ego death and rebirth like the caterpillar. While psychedelics can influence personality, I don't think that experiencing ego loss is meaningful. I think psychedelic idealists are suggesting that there is an ultimate goal that people should strive towards when taking psychedelics as though it will then turn them into the beautiful butterfly. I've not seen anyone emerge from a cocoon. To end, I'd like to say that the four episodes so far – I guess this was after the fourth one – have been very, very good. Thank you for doing such good work. I am so grateful. Best regards. So in a sense, I guess I see what the the writer here is saying. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure I I accept this argument about uh, ego loss being an incoherent concept. So we have experiences and obviously you need to, as as far as we know, have some kind of brain to have those experiences. So uh, I I would certainly disagree with somebody who says that their psychedelic experience proves that like their brain doesn't exist or something. But the self – I think, as far as we know, is an internal subjective concept. The self is something that's created by the brain. It's a series of impressions that have to do with a sort of autobiographical narrative script that's constantly running, that's relating sensory data and experiences back to this idea of who I am, what I've been, what I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. And I I, I don't actually accept, I think, that it is necessary for all experience to be routed through references to this autobiographical sense of self, the the, the narrator running in the head. Uh, In fact, I think one of the things about the psychedelic experience that's so revealing to people is it reveals to them that their sense of self is an impression and not an objective reality. The 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 self is a series of thoughts and thought patterns, not like an object in the world. Yeah,
3: yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, I would I would say that that my response to this would be like. On, on one hand, it seems like we are getting into just a discussion of terminology. Yeah, and I, I think I said in the episodes that I don't particularly care for the term ego death. Yeah, just you know, it's a little grim. Yeah, right. Uh, I like ego loss better, and mm. I think my my read on ego loss was all was always. Not so much an absolute loss, but more loss in the terms of a depletion, yeah, like I and and that's exactly what uh, this particular listener like is, is saying you know is is occurring, yeah that you know you're at least experiencing a, de- a depletion. Of, of the ego, yeah. uh, even if there is some, you know, they're arguing that there's some at least minuscule uh, sense of the of the self remaining in your observations.
0: Right. Uh, and, and a very good point I think they make actually is they point out that you shouldn't have overly heroic expectations for what's going to happen even through a high-dose psychedelic experience mm-hmm. that like, you know, that you're going to emerge like a butterfly from a cocoon, you know, without your past self and, and being an all-new person. I mean, people do – Report uh, in some cases very profound and positive changes in their life and their sense of self, but it's not a it's not a miracle drug. It's not a right. cure all. Yeah, know. It's, it's just a tool.
3: Yeah, um, a, a powerful tool, but a, a tool nonetheless. And yeah, I mean, I've I've read some accounts of of people you know that were critical back in the '60s and are critical today. Of say individuals who travel to South America in order to have the ayahuasca experience, mm-hmm. but with like a certain goal in mind, right? And then they, you know, it can be disappointing if you're if you're going to into it expecting again these these heroic uh, results. If you're expecting to be transformed purely by the experience, uh-huh. um, so so yeah, I think that's worth taking into account. But uh, but then again, another whole thing about this, you know, we're talking about you know the degree to which people are primed and the degree to which, uh, you know, the degree to which uh, their expectations might be, uh, you know, unfairly elevated. As we discussed, though, like, this, the psychedelic experience is highly susceptible to priming. Yeah. And like, that is, that's, it's part of the experience. Uh-huh. Well, uh, it's
0: it's one of the things that makes it a little more difficult to study than a right. lot of kinds of other things, because it's a drug that acts not necessarily by like, you know, changing levels of chemistry in your body that uh, that have a direct mechanism of action outside your, your conscious control. It seems very much like to whatever extent psychedelics do have therapeutic and, and legitimate medical uses and it does seem like they probably do, it's by allowing you to have a, an emotional cognitive experience that is meaningful to you and perceived subjectively as meaningful mm-hmm. and like motivates changes in behavior you know it's not like it's not like aspirin or something right and given that it very much appears appears to be the case that you you do very much want to intentionally bias people's expectations and stuff in in a positive direction to have them get the most out of the experience
3: absolutely. Uh, but this is a great, great bit of listener mail. I feel like this was yeah. some, you know, some, some good, uh, good food for thought here. Uh, you know, the listener was, you know, is is kind of disagreeing with some of the the information out there about psychedelic use and the effects, uh, but, uh, but, but providing a, an interesting argument. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, I really appreciate this, uh, this bit of listener feedback.
0: Yeah, I appreciate somebody making a case even, and, and I think making some very good points, even if I don't necessarily agree with the overall point being made. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we uh,
3: received another one. Uh, we received a one bit of listener mail just asking if uh, we had enjoyed psychedelics and watched Avatar before. <laughs> um What? Yeah. And then they summarized it. But uh, in the summary of um of Avatar, I was reminded like, yeah, this, like Avatar is a very like psych, kind of psychedelic film in its own way, you know, mm-hmm. the, all these themes of uh, you know connecting with nature and you know, tra- transfer- transferring your consciousness into a big blue cat
0: creature. Yeah, leaving your body.
3: Yeah. Flying around, yeah. So um, I, I will have to think of, think about that that read on Avatar uh, the next time I see it or when I get to you know see these sequels that are in the works.
0: Uh-huh. Sorry, my mind is still just grinding on this previous thing. There, there's another statement I want to make. Okay. I, I just want to see if you agree with this or not. I mean, basically, I think one of the interesting things about psychedelic research to me is that it, it yields the conclusion, at least to me, that saying the self does not exist is not a spiritual or mystical statement. Saying the self does not exist can be a, like a p- purely material and mundane statement of fact in a way and that the psychedelic experience does tend to Reveal to people subjectively that this is the case without the use of, you know, uh, brain imaging techniques and all that. It just gives you a different kind of subjective experience that makes you realize like, oh, this thing that I always thought had to be there doesn't have to be there. I know firsthand because I was there and it wasn't there.
3: Right, right. Yeah, and and, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what further, uh, you know, Breakthroughs we we see in this, uh, you know, now that we're we're seeing more and more research into psychedelics, uh, like one of the one, one of the points that I, I see made again and again is that you know for for the most part, uh, you know, western Western science has has been on one track, mm-hmm. and this track has been you know completely parallel to uh, to the psychedelic track, yeah. and these two tracks have have converged, you know for a very short time yeah, and and it's been kind of touch and go and now we're seeing more of a true convergence where we're actually like leveraging more of our, our current scientific understanding of the world uh, towards the psychedelic experience in an attempt to understand like what can be gained from it, mm. be it in the treatment of, uh, you know, addiction or very psychological conditions or simply in understanding like what the mind is and how it works.
0: Yeah. All right. I guess we need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more.
2: So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is
0: brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. personal computing and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: All right, we're back. So here's another bit of listener mail related to our psychedelics episodes. Hi, Robert and Joe. I've been listening to Stuff to Blow Your Mind for about two years now. It keeps my mind occupied while I deal with the mundanity of my day job. I apologize in advance if this gets long-winded, but I want to paint the whole picture of my recent dealings with depression and magic mushrooms. Uh, well, it does seem it to be a theme that, that, this, that these episodes uh, resulted in long listener emails. Yes, so. it did. Yeah. right, so they continue. I suffered from chronic headaches for about five years, and that kept getting worse. Along with this, I developed migraines that uh, were triggered by travel. Anything more than 50 kilometers in a car, and the next day my brain wants to explode. Once the pain goes away, suicidal depression would kick in for about five days as the post So I saw my doc a few times, uh, who is a psychiatrist as well. After trying a bunch of different meds and techniques and coming up empty, she suggested that I try a mild SSRI and just see what happens. My life changed from that day on. Uh, which was in January this year. Turned out I had depression, and only after being on SSRI was I able to see how depressed I was. Depression biases you so much towards negativity that it's impossible to see that you have a problem. My rage, road rage, and anxiety has basically disappeared completely along with the headaches and migraines, gotten back to my hobbies and rebuilding relationships. And this is where the shrooms come in. I've had shrooms multiple times long ago, about six years ago, and only three weeks ago decided to give it a a go again. As my mindset is in a good place, and I felt like doing a mental reset. This was literally a week before your psychedelic series started on Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I took about four grams dried, got in bed under a lot of blankets, and listened to prog metal for a few hours. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, well, you know. No, I'm not mocking. That's just, it's funny what people do. I mean, it's going to be subjective to your experience and taste, you know. the, The music that is... Comforting to me uh, isn't necessarily going to be comforting to the next person, and then I think uh, is sometimes the case. The music that is comforting to you, the psilocybin user or what have you, it might be different from the music that is comforting to you in your like your normal day to day state.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I was just thinking how I, you know I love me some Electric Wizard and general mm-hmm. doom metal kind of stuff, but I I don't I don't know. It seems like that could be a bad recipe.
3: Yeah, well, I, it's going to vary, right? The, the, anyway, the, the uh, listener continues. The experience was profound, to say the least. Other than the colors and patterns, I was confronted by all my mental baggage and given a choice of how to deal with it. At a stage, I was in a black pit surrounded by amorphous beings representing all the human connections in my life, towering around me my ego and they all said simultaneously you are no more my sense of self kind of just evaporated into everything as if the universe was in a high entropy state and all particles were homogeneously spread over the universe and i just became part of that after this the particles started to reconstitute into points of connection representing all the people in my life with the connection between all of them including me What I observed was that life is a giant web of connections with mental energy, not quacky pyramid uh, BS, (laughs) (laughs) flowing between all these connections. If a connection is faulty, it restricts flow in a certain part of this cloud and drains the amount of energy you have to keep the system in balance. So the solution would be to either fix the connection or sever it, allowing space for more positive experiences and connections with people. I know it all sounds very subjective, and honestly it is, but I find a lot of comfort in this idea. Three weeks later, I still feel like I've returned from a three-month vacation. Things are going a lot better than it used to. I realize that if life consists of 50-50 good and bad, and you can see 50% of the bad things as either neutral or good, then 75% of your life will be good. It's not about the arbitrary energy that you supposedly send out into the universe that draws in good energy. It's about your perspective on life. If your observation bias is dialed towards the positive, then your life will seem more positive. Weird thing is my sense of self hasn't really returned, which feels odd and fantastic at the same time. I'm not religious or spiritual in any sense, and if you stop worrying about the self, you have the capacity to help others. Anyway, love the podcast, guys. I recommend it to most of my friends. and We'll keep listening as long as you make it.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. That's a nice message. And I, I'm so interested in the way that the brains generate these visual metaphors. Yeah, It's extremely common. I mean, not unique to this message. You know, it's probably at least half of the trip reports out there have something like this where people talk about their psychedelic experience – being not just a sort of abstract revelation about you know their relationships and their emotions and all that, but that they get a concrete visual metaphor, yeah, through which they picture these revelations. Uh, I remember in in Michael Pollan's book, you know, which we read for that series. He talks about his experiences, um, having revelations about his relationships and his family. In w- in one case, he talks about like in- envisioning this giant building made out of like beams of wood and all that, and mm-hmm. like that the structure somehow represented to him the- these these feelings he was having about his his parents and his children and all that. Uh, and another one was like uh, feeling this way about the images of oak trees in a meadow. Yeah, why is it that the brain doesn't just say like, oh? I I should focus more on having positive relationships with my parents or something like that. Why is it that like it gives you a picture that shows that to you?
3: Yeah, I mean, because because in a way we're getting into some sort of like a non-linguistic communication, right? Or yeah, uh, or what what would be the the description like a, a translinguistic uh, object uh-huh. uh, in your mind? Um, Terence McKenna, you know, talks uh, about a, a lot of things like this in mm-hmm. his his writings. Uh, Uh, Though, I mean, in a lot of those writings, it's going beyond merely perceiving like a complex metaphor but interacting with the complex metaphor and and sort of, of course, dissecting that metaphor later on and and drawing conclusions from
0: it. It totally goes beyond, yeah, if you're you're thinking like, okay, I'm not just perceiving in my imagination imagery that reveals something to me but actually like I'm thinking that there is some physical other thing out there that I'm just – perceiving as I would perceive objects in my environment Mm -hmm. which to some extent McKenna actually thought he did experience right like yeah
3: though I've been kind of I've been looking around at at people's different takes on on that uh like basically the question to what extent did did McKenna believe in some of these reads that he discussed on uh, you know psychedelic visions Mm -hmm. and uh, you know some argue that well you know it's it's not so much that he necessarily believed in all of these things but was encouraging people to you know consider alternate reads on reality, and also just sort of like pulling the thread of a particular idea and just, you know, keep pulling it to see how much of it you can get. What happens if you follow the rabbit hole of this particular notion and uh-huh. where does it lead you? And I think I do see that. And I'm currently reading a collection of his um, like interviews and writings uh, titled The Archaic Revival. Mm-hmm. And, and you do see that. Like, it, it's, you can't take all the ideas in the book and line them up and like construct necessarily like the Terence Terence McKenna mythos, right? You know, because it's because <laughs> it's like he's exploring one idea here and he's talking about another one here.
0: Ah, uh-huh. well, I guess that comes back to the the interesting quality of veridicality or uh, or the the noetic quality, mm-hmm. right? That there's this feeling that so many people get about their psychedelic experiences that it wasn't just an interesting experience but that it revealed something objectively true. Yeah. Uh, which is such a strange and interesting quality and one way you could look at it is that maybe what it does is it kind of it not that it makes people believe that a hallucination they had on a high dose of psilocybin was a literal physical object that's out there that they encountered but it more sort of like increases your willingness to suspend disbelief when entertaining metaphors and stuff. Does does that make sense? It's like allows you to get into the story of a movie more without stepping out and thinking this is just a movie. It just sort of like opens you up. To going with an idea for longer than you normally would, without without getting embarrassed about it, or thinking like, okay, that's that's silly.
3: Yeah, yeah. Or getting drawn back into, into the the egoic mind and and thinking about this, you know, pulling out the old toys, you yeah. know, the the the, the toys of, of the past and the toys of the the future to worry about, and being able to to focus on this, you know, what is often in, in so many of these cases, it's it's some sort of metaphor that is that is bound up in empathy. Yeah, and uh, and uh you know it's 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 not the necessarily the kind of of you know ultimately like positive uh, uh imagery that one is going to dwell on because what we t- we tend to dwell on we tend to dwell on, Things things from the past that were, were great and we wish we had again, or things from the past that hurt us. And then likewise gazing into the future and fantasizing about the things that could hurt us or make us happy. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it's in so often it the the metaphor in play in, in our first uh uh, message that we read in in this one and also in uh, the example from Michael Pollan's book, it's based kind of in the present. It's like, what do I have now that is important and of value?
0: Yeah. And, and so many, it also just seems funny that so many of these revelations and metaphors that people have uh, during their experiences are about love. Yeah. It's always about love. It's like statements that people might normally find kind of embarrassingly trite or banal, take on a new profundity.
3: Yeah, you don't see a lot of accounts where people are like, yeah, I had a psychedelic experience and I realized I need to kick people more. (laughs) Why am I not kicking people more? I
0: mean, I'm not ruling out that possibility. (laughs) That could happen with some people, but you don't hear that kind of thing much. Yeah, more often you hear stuff like, I realize that love is everything, mm-hmm. and you know, you not having the experience might hear somebody say that and say, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, you, I could have told you, you know, there's, you, oh, you want to hear some more Beatles lyrics? Or yeah, something, yeah, but it
3: is. It's the stuff of lyrics. It's the stuff of uh, of, of bumper stickers. But but but, the but kind it's of... actually felt is the thing. It's yes. like truly felt, uh, as if for the first time sometimes.
0: Yes, totally. Okay, Looks like uh, we're going to move on to the next one. Uh, This one starts, hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that I really enjoyed your series on psychedelics and wanted to share my experiences. Each spring and fall, I and a few other guys go up to my friend's cottage to open or close it for the season. For the last few years, we've taken this opportunity to take magic mushrooms. His cottage is located on a fairly small island, which makes it a great place to go for a wander without a risk of getting lost. But we always make sure to stick together, even if one of us is lost in the shapes of the clouds and someone else is pondering the moss on a rock. We've always had good experiences and for the following weeks and months, the world seems like a brighter place. As you said at the beginning of your series, it's like someone opens a window and even after the window is closed, the air feels a little fresher. I've had some very interesting experiences on my trips. Most of the time, the effects are fairly standard visual hallucinations and a general feeling of euphoria. But on our last adventure, we went for it and took Terrence McKenna's heroic dose of five (laughs) grams.
3: I I should just throw in that this is something he he mentions in some of the writings I'm reading now. And basically his argument was, look, if you're going to take psychedelics, don't play around. Take a heroic dose so that you can like really experience the thing. Uh, you know, agree or disagree with that as you like, but that's that's what people were talking about when they're talking about Terrence McKenna's five grams.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the the writer here continues. This resulted in a much more cerebral experience. I could see the surface of my mind again. This visual metaphor. Mm-hmm. I could see the surface of my mind and had the feeling that small tendrils were extending off and connecting to another level beyond regular consciousness. In that time, I felt like I had a perfect understanding of so many things: the origins of art, the meaning of family, the intricacies of society, and even some religious thoughts from a non-religious person. Unfortunately, my ascent to reality was much harder than it had been on lighter doses, and the fresh feeling didn't stick with me. I'm looking forward to our closing this fall, and I hope I can strike a balance in the dose and get the best of both worlds. I also wanted to thank you for your approach to the conversation. My wife and I grew up the same way you did, with the dangers of drugs being pushed on us at every turn, so she has a bit of apprehension when it comes to things like this. We listened to a few of the episodes together, and I think it opened her mind a little to the idea that mushrooms can be beneficial. Maybe one day she'll be ready and we can go explore together. Thanks again. Well, uh, I like that, but then again I mean I, I, I want to emphasize that every, everybody's got to make decisions for themselves yeah. and inform themselves on these things. So we're not encouraging people to take psychedelics. We're just trying to describe what you know what what's out there, what the literature says. yeah
3: choosing to to never try psychedelics is a perfectly valid choice uh, yeah we, we don't advocate you know pressuring anybody or or uh, dosing Richard Nixon with them right. <laughs> All right, here's another one. This uh, listener writes, Hi, Joe. Hi, Robert. I'm an occasional listener of your podcast, choosing the topics that interest me most and saving the others for when I have more time because unlike other podcasts that I can listen to while doing other stuff, yours requires my complete attention in a good way. (laughs) Your recent psychedelic series, though, had me drop everything right at the second each episode was available. Your research and personal insights were eye-opening to a subject that I hadn't really considered before. Your reports of several studies where people described communicating with the gods had me thinking about the three big monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Uh, they all forbid the use of mind-altering substances to various degrees, the key probably being that one should always be in control of one action, one's actions and not be able— uh, to to excuse one's shortcomings with being under the influence of drugs. But I'm wondering if this could also be interpreted as the religious leaders having had a real experience of talking to God while on psychedelics and subsequently trying to prevent others from experiencing the same thing. The motive could be oppression and lust for power. But then Jesus and later uh, Muhammad were like, "Nah, I don't care about that about what Abraham and Moses said. I want to have as much fun as that goat over there that ate some weird-looking mushroom." <laughs> And God talking to them too. Another thought I had while listening was Michael Pollan, huh? Like the cookbook guy. Weird case of two people with the same name. But did he then, write a cookbook. Well, he, you know, well maybe he did stuff about food. He's done a lot about food, and his ah. I think previous book was about like you know, um, you know, he talked about a, a lot about uh, like culinary traditions and. Oh, okay. Our our uh, our our producer Maya just uh, chimed in and pointed out that he did a cooked series on Netflix. Okay. and listen, I actually watched uh, this series. It's it's excellent. Yeah. Anyway, our listener continues. But then I decided to look up the book you reference uh, so much, and it's the exact same guy. My second favorite cookbook author ever, second only to Samin Nosrat, who uh, literally refers to him, to him as one of her biggest mentors, inspirations, and supporters. His Netflix series and book, Cooked, oh, okay. <laughs> first sparked my interest into the more sciencey uh, side of cooking. Why fermentation is so important, how nutrition works, and why some modern foods make us sick. Spoiler: It's most likely neither lactose nor gluten. He dives into different cultures and cuisines with genuine curiosity and respect, not elevating himself and his personal knowledge above the more traditional ways of cooking. What I'm basically trying to say is he would be a phenomenal guest on uh, to your show, whether you want to talk about food, psychedelics, or general cultural developments if you've actually made it this far thank you for reading through my whole rant about things you probably already know and thank you for making such a
0: phenomenal podcast have a great week uh well thanks for getting in touch i i would say that um there are a lot of theories people have about the roles of psychedelics in the origin of religions. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these theories are obviously going to be difficult to prove. So it's just kind of like people offering speculations of that may to various extents conform or not conform to the evidence we already have. But right. it, it's hard to prove these things right. But,
3: right. It's like the the food of the gods argument that yeah. Terrence
0: McKenna made. Like it's,
3: it's a very interesting argument but ultimately it's nothing you could ever actually prove.
0: Yeah. Uh, or at least not in any way we can imagine now. I mean, right who, who knows what we could prove given evidence we don't know about but it seems unlikely at yeah. least um, but with these things i mean one thing i would say is that i think it's not hard to see why a lot of religions would place limitations on the use of mind altering substances of various kinds even kinds with radically different effects i mean mm-hmm. that uh that they might have the same kind of attitude toward alcohol that they have toward psilocybin mushrooms and these are extremely different compounds that are different things to the brain mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I think there's a, there's like a complex interplay of different pressures going on there. I think one is just sort of like a, a social orderliness pressure—the idea that you sort of mentioned in the email that like drugs can induce changes in behavior, drugs can lower people's inhibitions, and uh, and you just generally don't want people having excuses for bad behavior that are chemical in nature. Yeah. Um, but another thing I think I mentioned in the episodes, and I still pretty firmly believe is that there is definitely a threat from specifically psychedelics. Uh, there's a threat to organized religions that have a set number of like doctrines and dogmas because psychedelics very often tend to cause people to believe they have had new revelations. Right. You know, like God has talked to me now and now I in fact see that here are the new things we should believe. And of course, that's a challenge to the authority of the existing church, which has like a, a doctrinal statement.
3: Yeah. And of course— th- these types of revelations can occur without psychedelics and do occur without psychedelics. Sure, and the history is full of individuals who likely had obtained the revelation, uh, you know, v- via non-drug uh, related means, mm-hmm. and then end up posing a problem to the established religion. You know, suddenly you have a new heresy. And uh, generally, organized religions don't take kindly to heresies, uh, and they have to be squashed, right? Uh, another, I think, thing to think to keep in mind is that so many of these different substances, when we're looking historically, we're dealing with with something very regional, yeah. and we're de- dealing with something that is tied to traditional regional practices. Yeah, and then you, in comes a major religion. It's, you know, these these major religions tend to. Uh, be, uh, you know, know, evangelical. They tend to be, they're expanding uh, their domain. And in doing so, uh, they are absorbing and crushing traditional practices. Yeah. and and part of that is cr- is crushing whatever kind of uh, you know medicinal practices they have in place.
0: Yeah, and uh, and of course we don't mean that necessarily as an indictment of people who believe in these religions, but mm-hmm. all kinds of, like uh Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, even they yeah. all at various points were expansionist religions that were sort of obliterating local regional religious practices that people had before them.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's just the it, it's just the nature of of these of ideas. And yeah. you can look at it in two ways. You can look at it as like Okay, here's the big, you know, dominant uh, religion coming in and just destroying everything in its path, and think of it like a like a mold taking over something. But you can also look at it if you you want to. You can say, well, here are just some really good ideas that someone had about how to live your life, and so of course they're going to expand. Of course they're going to be adopted by people who uh, can benefit from them. I think ultimately you have a mix of these two uh, factors in the expansion of any religion. There are things that are doing people good, and therefore they expand. And then of course there's just the, the in, inevitable conflict of different ideas, different cosmologies bump, bumping heads. Like something's, there's going to be a certain amount of uh, of synthesis that takes place, but something's going to also be left, uh, you know, on the cutting room floor, and something is going to more or less win.
0: Yeah. Now, more directly to exactly what the writer here says, uh, I, I don't necessarily assume or think that there is any good evidence to assume that the founders of you know more recent revelatory religions were themselves taking psychedelics. Uh, I, I don't necessarily see any evidence of that, especially because we know that some people spontaneously have these types of mystical experiences without the use of psychedelics. And also because uh, a lot of times the the prohibitions that you're talking about against uh, mind-altering substances are not spoken directly by the people who have these revelations themselves. I mean – Jesus never said anywhere that is recorded that one should not take psychedelic substances. That's Mm -hmm. just not to be found in the Bible.
3: All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take one more break. When we come back,
0: more listener mail. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love— All right, we're back. Okay, the next message starts uh, Hey guys, uh, the writer says that uh, we produce uh, their favorite media and says some needlessly flattering things. And then says, uh, Anyways, I just finished your five part mini series on psychedelics. Listening to it and being reminded of mushrooms and my experience with them when I was much younger and how it still has the power to give me this feeling of ego dissolution. Uh, Just a little background. When I was 19, I had been arrested a ton of times for marijuana and drinking-related crimes, all culminating with my house being raided. I did a short stint in county and then was released with 1.5 years of probation and drug counseling. I was never a violent or bad guy or ever really felt I had a problem with drugs. I just sort of lacked purpose or had anything positive I cared about. Anywho, on my 20th birthday, my best friend at the time and I took mushrooms for the first time and walked around town. I had this feeling of enlightenment, like I was thinking on a much higher level, and there was just so much more meaning and truth to the world than I had known. At that point, I decided I wanted to study physics and understand this higher dimension. I'd never been successful in school. My high school GPA was a 1.7, but I took some classes at a local school, did well, matriculated, continued to do well, applied to a solid physics program at the UNH, got a degree, and went on to graduate uh, Went on to graduate school to study imaging science. I sort of stopped looking for the higher dimensions and just got excited about science. Also, there were other things going on in my life that were positive. But what I really wanted to get to, the day after – I guess this is the day after the the, uh, psilocybin experience – I hadn't slept and I was in the best mood ever. Not tripping anymore, just feeling like I had learned something deep, gained purpose and perspective. Months later, I didn't feel that way always, but I could remember the perspective and bring myself there, just tapping into the memory. To this day, sometimes I think back to the time I tripped on mushrooms, and I can still sort of get the ego dissolution just by making the connection in my memory. It is sort of like meditation on demand. That being said, I meditated before and a long while after with regularity after I had tripped, and I think it brought a whole other level to my meditation. It was like there was a deeper well of being in the moment. Or maybe more apt, being in the moment also came with a stronger feeling of being connected to the world. Shortly after, I made up a meditation inspired by my trip. There was this pulsing thing to it where like your breath and heartbeat were connected to the world around you. So I would try to force that feeling. I would start by using my mind's eye and imagining myself uh, breathing in the energy of my surroundings. Then I would expand my region to my town and then to my state, my country. The world, the solar system, and then the universe, watching with my mind's eye this abstract universe's gaseous energy (laughs) coming into my lungs, following it the entire way, then breathing my energy into the universe. And then the uh, writer goes on to say a few more things, but I think we'll cap it there. But I, I like this idea of the uh, the expanding consciousness exercise through meditation because th- it's something that I, – I don't know if there's a version exactly like this that I've come across before, but there's certainly uh, the idea of expanding forms of consciousness in the compassion meditation tradition, you know, yes. where, where you uh, – You're like – you meditate on well wishes and compassion for yourself and for people close to you and you gradually through the exercise like expand that circle of people who you include in your – the circle of people who you wish well for and this just gets bigger and bigger until you wish well for all of humanity and it's like a way of forcing yourself to experience compassion for people you would not normally feel compassion for.
3: Right, yeah, I think that's some, sometimes overlooked as as being, uh, you know, uh, one of the positive sides about prayer traditions in like Western Christian traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, is that you know, sometimes there's criticism leveled that like, oh, well, if you're if you're praying for somebody, you're not really helping them, uh, you know, and so forth. You know, the whole sort of thoughts and prayers um, uh, counter argument, but. But if you think of it as, like, this, uh, this empathy-building meditative practice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think it's a little bit different. And, then of course, the idea, too, being that, like, you, you know, first comes thought and then comes action. Yeah. Uh, that if it puts you in a more empathetic mind state, then, then hopefully you'll be in a better position to take actions that are also empathetic.
0: I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I know there are at least some – this might sound like an oxymoron to some people, but I've read about this. There are like atheist Christians you know, mm-hmm. who are Christians. They don't necessarily believe that there is a, a god that can physically change things in the world or anything like that. And yet they would still consider themselves in some way Christian and pray and that the prayer uh, – is sometimes thought of as a kind of internal psychological drama where you are conditioning yourself to have, you know, well wishes and compassion for the people who you pray for, kind of like the the compassion meditation tradition in Buddhism.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean it, exactly, like if you're if you're doing a uh you know even like a blessing before a dinner, like you're stopping mm-hmm. for a second to appreciate, you know, the the fact that you do have food on the table and maybe thinking about, uh, you know, other people that need help and certain causes and whatnot, uh, like similar exercises. And this is one that we do in, in my house is to have like a family meeting. Mm-hmm. And there are certain like questions that we all answer. Like, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part? What are you thankful for? What are you looking forward to? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Uh, animal of the day is also in there.
0: Animal of the day. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's a good tradition. It's frequently a squirrel for me, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like, like you say, it's, it's ultimately kind of this empathetic uh, meditative practice. All right. Next, I want to read a, a section one. Like, like I say, a lot of these were long uh, uh-huh. because they're often describing, you know, rather you know, complex uh, emotional or perceptive experiences. Uh, so I'm just going to read a portion of this one uh, where this individual is talking about uh, uh, the, the, uh, how, um, how uh, psychedelic usage impacted their life. It definitely changed my perspective on things. At the time, I was really lonely, anxious to have a girlfriend, yet not social enough to get out there and, and meet and mingle with new people. After the trip, I relaxed a great deal. I realized it didn't matter so much. At once, I became more comfortable with my solitude and more open to trying new things and meeting new people. I realized there was so much more to do and I was not doing everything I could uh, be doing to make my memories richer. But that was uh, just the beginning of my changes. The last time I tripped was about a year and a half ago. I had one more insightful experience. I was over at my brother's apartment, but instead of discussing anything with him, I opted to lay down in silence for the duration of the trip. I tried to focus inward, but had a very difficult time because of the pain I was feeling in my body. At first. I was frustrated because I felt like I was just being distracted by this pain. But eventually I realized that I was supposed to be feeling this pain. I had been experiencing chronic back and wrist pains for about a year at that point and had not really done anything about them. I realized that day that I was not treating my body the way it needed to be treated. I had a very sedentary lifestyle as a computer jockey and did a little exercise. The psychedelics made me focus on how much it sucked to be in pain all the time and that I was still young enough to fix it, although I might not have enough time if I didn't start soon. I still work from a computer. Uh, there was no changing that aspect of my life, but I decided to start having healthier exercise habits. I got a gym membership and started swimming almost every day of the week uh, after work and began practicing yoga almost every morning. I was upset at first that I didn't have as much time in the day to do what I wanted, but as the weeks went by, I began to love the exercise. I feel that my trip gave me a, a healthier ability to communicate with my body and understand what it wanted. I had been depriving it for so long, and it was so happy that I was giving it the movement it needed so badly.
0: Uh, yeah, and the writer here uh, has has some other great things to say. This was also a long email, but uh, thank you for getting in touch. It's It's great to hear... I mean, yet again, this is something we've we've seen at least anecdotally over and over again in these reports: is the ability uh, of these substances to give people an experience that leads to change in habits, which is such a precious thing to come by. Actually, like being able to change your routines. We we, we in fact, I think, so often we're really. Just oblivious to how governed by routine we are. Oh, yeah. How, how subject to, to habits and repetitive actions. I mean, it's one of the things that, uh, it can be almost kind of debilitating to think about life this way but it is sometimes worth realizing that every time you do something you're not just doing that thing but you're making it more likely that you'll do that thing again in the future right every time you say it every time you think it every time you do it you're sort of writing a program in your brain to reinforce that thing and so like our actions you know your actions are never just that one action in the moment it's also changing your future Predisposition, right? But it seems like the w- one great thing about psychedelics is they have at least some sort of power, often reported anecdotally, to to uh, to get in there and mess with that code to give you more ability to overcome your habitual behaviors and try to do something different.
3: Yeah, to shake up the snow globe. And and again, again, the research. This is it, it goes beyond just sort of the subjective experience. But I mean, we see the research in uh, the ability to combat combat addiction, addictions. Yeah, yeah. certainly. And, like, that is a that, that is certainly a more concrete area of like here is the here is the the coding, here is the the program that's been put in place. and then here we are dis- we are seeing its disruption, yeah. All right. uh, So we have just a few more. These are some short ones to close it out. Um, I'm going to read this one. Uh, The listener writes, and it says, I've been enjoying the five-part series on psychedelics. Great examination given to this topic. I particularly enjoy the discussion of the other at the end of the first installment. The foray into Gnostic belief was quite apt. I experienced a similar feeling during a few psychedelic experiences, and this detail lended more uh, to a feeling I used to think was unique. However, my whole Gnostic experience happened after reading way too much H.P. Lovecraft in my freshman (laughs) year of college and that produced a monolithic cyclopean fear that I cannot describe. Which is fitting. That's very <laughs> okay. Uh Nevertheless, I think that the other produced by psychedelics, the disassociation from reality and the fallibility of perception is a real benefit from these substances. I look forward to future research on psychedelics, especially the use of microdoses. Some of the best transcendent moments of my teens and early adulthood were aided by consumption of small amounts of psychedelics in the company of close friends. Taking some mushrooms and hiking up a small mountain can really offer you some perspective. I would like to see a time when responsible and private use of psychedelics is more accepted. I couldn't help but think of Roger from Mad Men when I was listening to the series. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, this happened. Later on, he ends up taking... Oh, um, okay.
0: I never finished Mad Men. I think oh. I just watched the first season or something.
3: Oh, it's... I, I enjoyed yeah. the whole uh, the whole journey. But yeah, Roger ends up uh, taking... Oh, I want to say he ends up going to, over to uh, an individual's house, and I can't remember what historic figure that may or may not s- supposed to be. Like, oh, uh, but anyway, he he goes and he's introduced to uh, mm-hmm. to LSD. Uh, anyway, uh, list, the writer continues, His love of LSD and its habitual use in, la- in later seasons paints an image of how even successful people in business could enjoy that kind of cleansing feeling that psychedelics evoke. Great show. I love listening to this podcast on my way to work.
0: Oh, well, thanks for sharing with us. <laughs> Wait a minute. What is this about the Cyclopean fear? That does <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh uh, well, I, I I take that to uh, to, to mean that yeah that there was the the psychedelic experience was initially um, influenced by reading too much H P Lovecraft,
0: uh, that's, which is sounds like a not a great a bad story hearing, uh, you know. <laughs> but uh, well, it's funny H P Lovecraft also gets to the ineffable, much like the mystical experience has this quality of ineffability. One of the most common things or at least in my you know I'm not as deeply read on HP Lovecraft I think as you are, or as a lot of other people are but I recognize in that and in some other horror writers of the period this very common thing about just like not being able to describe the feeling of horror one experienced
3: yeah 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 that's just a common trope of of Lovecraft's writing but then yeah other writers uh, working at the time and and writers who've come and you know in, in the tradition to follow um but But, yeah, at the same time, it's very – like there's no empathy there. Like it's kind of an anti-psychedelic – like, well, a darkly psychedelic uh, description of things, uh, I guess. But uh, anyway, uh, I I guess part of the the thing to think about is I guess the the brain is going to build your experience out of whatever you've been feeding it to a certain Mm -hmm. extent. So – he, this individual was feeding at Lovecraft and this is what they got.
0: Well, I hope this has been informative after we, uh, you know, uh, explored the sort of historical and scientific uh, r- reports for a number of episodes now to just hear these like firsthand anecdotes and experiences from all these listeners and and other people.
3: Yeah, yeah, this was this was great. Uh, so I appreciate everyone who wrote in. If you wrote in or, or, you know, somehow tried to communicate with us on this and we didn't respond or read your, uh, your thoughts here, just, you know, bear in mind that we 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 did read them we read everything that comes in and we do appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us and likewise if you didn't you know hit the deadline on this and you have you have you have additional thoughts well, we'll send those in anyway Uh, We may return to, we won't do a a dedicated listener mail on this topic again, but, you know, we may carve out the end portion of a future listener mail episode to consider future uh, emails related to the psychedelic experience. Totally. And for that matter, I mean, we may do future episodes about psychedelics because, again, the the research is ongoing. We may see some some really cool studies in the next year or two, and we'll have no choice but to return to them. So, uh, I mean, hopefully that's the case.
0: I hope so. I don't think we'll do another five part series, no, but, no. Uh, but you know, it, it's something, yeah, we're we're uh, we're fascinating new avenues of of inquiry will continuously pop up.
3: yeah, and then ultimately, I think it would be fun to like if we do come back to it have like a single study to focus in on. like here's yeah. a new study. here's what they did. Here's what their, their findings are and, and and here's what we can uh, we can glean from that.
0: Oh, yeah. I think I already mentioned one that came up in the episode but we didn't get into in depth was like the the research on adult personality change. Yeah. I, I imagine if more stuff comes out about that, maybe we'll explore that in a future episode.
3: Yeah. All right. In the meantime, if you want to check out more episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, head on over to stufftoblowyourmind.com. And if you want to support us and support the show, the, really the best thing you can do Rate and review us wherever you have the power to do so, and make sure you have subscribed. not only to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, but also our other show, Invention, uh, which is a, 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 his, a, a study of human history via the various inventions that we have concocted.
0: Yeah. If you're not subscribed, why not? Subscribe to Invention. Subscribe to Invention. Subscribe to Invention. Robert, are you going to join? Subscribe to Invention. Subscribe to Invention. Uh, yes! Yeah, so subscribe to Invention. Subscribe Sounds to good. Invention. <laughs> subscribe to Invention. Okay, that's enough. Uh, well, anyway, so uh, thanks to our excellent audio producer today, Maya Cole. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, uh, to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello and all that kind of stuff, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. you.
1: Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild